and welcome to the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast. I'm Scott Harris, the Constitutional Patriot, behind the Red Pill mic and on the Red Pill cam. And what we're going to be talking about today is two basic different things. I'm going to be talking about... um, I have articles from the National Review. It is Take 5 Day. Um, For those of you new listeners, um, Take 5 is where I take five articles uh, from the National Review This Week section where they have little, like, one to two paragraph articles um, of different news flashes um, from around the country. And they're little articles. And I bring them in. I find articles over a general overarching concept um, or just things I like. And we talk about them. We talk about the philosophy behind it, the governmental policy behind it, uh, what is the corruption behind it, those aspects. And then I have an article from the Epoch Times about um, it's part two of um, the Michigan... um, election fraud issues that have been going on with the the court case on that. Uh, I would like to apologize for getting this late, this uh, art, part two of this article done um, for such a long time. And it is the um, Epoch Times uh, Michigan election issue part two about from that article from the Epoch Times newspaper that was covered before. What we're going to be talking about here in this article is basically um, highlighting some information that was covered in the Epoch Times about um, there is in in Michigan there was basically a, you call it like an audit is 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 how I would re, how I'd phrase it. Um, the there was a lawsuit pending about about some election ir- irregularities, um, and what they found in this election um, article um, is that they had basically ballot box tampering, and the votes were counted. The law states that if an, if an election bag or box that is locked has been cut open, has cuts in it, has been uh, the the locking mechanism has been broken, and it has the box has clearly been tampered with, that you cannot count any votes in that box or bag because they're all corrupted. Okay. That's the law, and and what the audit has found is significant, um, massive, massive fraud going on here in Michigan, um, and and this is and they and they've done it. They've 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 taken, they've taken. Uh, they have actually evidence of these actions by by counting the votes and by by doing it. Um, Examples of states' activity working against election integrity. See, this is the in, in election integrity movement. Okay, that's happening in Chicago, in, in Michigan. It's happening in other places. But the Democrat part, and this is not trying to change election results. 
Okay, let's make that perfectly clear. This is not trying to go into and making and saying we don't like the re election results, so we're going to do this to change it. That's not what they're doing. What they're going in is basically verifying and confirming that the laws were followed accurately. That's all this is. So if you are opposed to election integrity, verification of election results, why? If you're saying the election is, is legal and everything is above board and there was no fraud, then you would, be, you would encourage verification to make sure and to certify that there was no irregularities or fraud. Only if you are basically know that there were irregularities and fraud and you want that to maintain the status quo power base so that you did not a change in election results because of, of basically fraud, you don't want the fraud to become known, then you would be opposing these election integrity verification steps. Okay, we're here to, that's what the, that's what the whole election integrity thing is all about, is to basically verifying and giving people the peace of mind that the election is legitimate, and that the election is fair, okay, and that the rules were followed, okay, the um, state activities worked against election results, what they did in Michigan is they raised the cost for this evaluation um, up by $76,000. The price was raised. The original cost was $76,000. The, 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 the Michigan Democratic Party um, raised the fees to nearly a half a million dollars. So basically, the state, reg the state election integrity, the cost under the old fee structure was going to be $76,000. And they says no, we're going to raise it to half a million dollars. The why would they raise the why would they massively raise this is because they don't want the, they don't want this organization to be able to to afford to do it, okay? The um, prohibitive price okay was used as a deterrent. They never thought that they would raise the money. Okay, when they did raise, this is the, the election integrity um, group that was doing the lawsuit and doing the audit, okay. When they did raise the money, okay, the bureaucracy had to scramble, said the leader of the group, Gal Bazzi, G-A-L-G-L-A-C-B-A-Z-Z-I, right, so, yeah, it's like, oh, we're going to raise the fees to half a million dollars. They're not going to be able to raise the money. Oh, they raised the money. Now what are we going to do? How are we going to shut them down? That's what they started doing. Okay. The ADA has provi uh, provisions that any lawyer filing a lawsuit on business that facilitates or uh, are not in compliance to force business to comply to avoid torrent lawsuits. So I wrote that note because here's how this works, okay? 
And I, I wrote that note. That was my note that I just read when I was going over this article. And I have to admit, it has been a long time since I read this article. So I'm just going off my notes here. And the, the reason I wrote that is because, is because that the, the Ameri- ADA is the American Disabilities Act. And the, and the way it works is this. Um, if you are a business, say a coffee house, a restaurant, a, you know, a, a subway or a sandwich shop or a, you know, a Quiznos or whatever it is, right? Your bathroom entrances have to, the doors have to be a certain width. You have to have a handicap stall that's labeled handicap or if not labeled handicap has to be big enough for a wheelchair to turn around. There's these regulations on size, okay, of stalls in a me- in men's and women's rooms. Well, these lawyers what they did is part of the ADA to force businesses to take the cost to pay for that updating and all this other stuff instead of the government going in and like the government paying to update all these businesses right and giving them a tax deduction to do it or you know re-regulating they regulated to do it and to basically enforce it what they did is they empowered any lawyer any member of the bar can go into any business and they can measure the door width of the bathrooms, and they can measure, is there a ramp? And they basically, these lawyers, what they do is they have a checklist. They go through the checklist, and they go in there with a tape measure, and they're measuring crap, right? And if there's any, I mean, you're, you could be like a, a centimeter off on your door width, right? A half an inch, Okay, a wheelchair can still get through, but it, you know, but it's a half an inch, not as wide as the regulation stated, whatever it is, okay? Um, or the ramp is on the improper slope angle, whatever it is, okay? They will file a lawsuit and sue the business owner in civil court for hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars for like a door that's half inch too narrow. So what so what they do in this, okay, is is they end up settling the bill, the settling the case to where they will pay the lawyer a a, a several thousand dollars and fix whatever's wrong. So the lawyers are forcing these businesses to to basically, even if they're minute, minutely miscompliant. I mean, there were there's cases like this to where, you know, oh, the door was like an eighth of an inch too narrow. An eighth of an inch. Wheelchairs would come and go as there was no, there was no hindrance. It was an eighth of an inch. And this lawyer sued this business for $2 million, right? And so this guy had to tear out his bathroom cubicles, put new doors in, right? 
and that took to get a permit and all this other stuff took a week and a half to get a permit a building permit from the city or whatever it was and so he was basically shut down for a week and a half had to pay this lawyer end up paying this lawyer like it was like less than a hundred thousand dollars right it was it was it was less than a hundred thousand dollars, but well over fifty. So it was between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars. I can't remember the exact amount. This was this was like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, something like that. And and so he, I remember this. They covered it on the news, right, local news. And he had to shut down for a week, and he had to because he had to get a contractor in, and he had to get a permit, and he had to do the renovation, right and had to pay this lawyer. So it cost him, with all of that stuff, like $150,000, okay, for an eighth of an inch of a door that did not hinder anybody getting in and out of the bathroom. He had, he had numerous clients in wheelchairs that came in and out of the bathrooms all the time. Okay? So... You know, but but they did that. That's the way they did it with this ADA law. And there's these lawyers. This is how the law. There's a lot of these lawyers. That's how they make their money. Is flying these. They make they make thousands of dollars a month by filing these nuisance lawsuits and settling them out of court. They never go to court. They just file paperwork. I'm suing you, but I'll settle. Give me five thousand dollars. And they do it because it's cheaper to settle the pay the guy $5,000 than to go to court with your law firm, you know, that they're bill. oh, it's going to cost minimum $20,000 to go to court, blah, 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 right? So it's cheaper to pay $5,000 and then instead of $25,000 going to court, right? So that's how these guys make their money, right? And the whole process of this, well, it's getting, it's forcing businesses to get compliant with the ADA. You want to know what would be a cheaper way in a way that wasn't hindering business in a way that's basically not giving an aid to these lawyers is basically give, letting them be, have a tax deduction to pay for it. Give them a tax credit to do it. Seriously. Insane. And why did I bring that up? Well, I think that, I think that if they're going to have that with the ADA, then what they should do is have lawyers being able to sue these counties and these states where there is voter fraud irregularities to basically force these counties and states to maintain that they have election law, that they are complying with election law. If the ADA law is set up to where it's forcing businesses to, to be compliant with the American with Disabilities Act, then they should have something similar set up to force states and, and counties um, to be compliant with election integrity laws, no, no voter fraud, no dead people voting, no tampering with election boxes, right? Because we've all heard the stories about and seen the boxes thrown in the trash can from conservative districts and conservative precincts that the, these ballot boxes have gone missing and then the police find them in, you know, in dumpsters in other parts of the city. Okay? So that has, been, that has happened numerous times. And the only way that that has been able to happen is that those people at the county 
precincts, those county officials that are at those precincts collecting those, those votes on election day, they should be held responsible and accountable for those boxes that are tampered with or thrown in dumpsters because somebody tampered with them and somebody threw them in dumpsters. There needs to be, if you come up with the box that has been tampered or missing, somebody needs to be held criminally liable for that. Okay? And having, having lawyers being able to sue counties and, and the county clerk's office um, and suing the county clerk and suing the, the state election officials, right? Suing those offices to maintain compliance, right? And they would be to force compliance. That might be a way to work that out. That's an interesting thing. I'm going to talk to my congressman about that. Okay? But that's, where, that's why I wrote that. Is because something similar to that could be used to force counties and states for election integrity. Okay? That's an interesting conceptual framework there. Um, another one of the things that they were doing that they're trying to get people not to, to basically question elections is fear of retribution to law to lawyers taking on the um, election integrity movement, um, there are more than 20 cases on election integrity. Okay? And what they're fearing is local officials tell, tell these lawyers in, in Michigan, okay, local officials tell them to take cases, compliance, complaints to the attorney general. The Attorney General Democrat Dana Nessel, um, N-E-S-S-E-L, is a uh, lawyer for the state of, uh, for the Secretary of State and Bureau of Elections, the plaintiffs in the case, right? Um, so, so they, the, the, they're basically saying, you have to take it to the, to the Attorney General's office and they'll come after you. Right, because there's cases they're going after these lawyers that are basically filing lawsuits for voter for voter integrity violations. Okay, um, now for my my concept here is uh, for election uh, reforms. Okay, if the these are my, some of my notes that I wrote on this when reading this article, going through about learning about election integrity. If the Democrats feel that the elections are fair and ballots are legal, then why the roadblocks? Why the intimidation? Those are that's the question I had when I was going through this. Okay? Why if they say, Oh, everything's fine, everything's good, everything's glory, blah blah blah, then why are they doing this? Why are they hampering these these lawyers and putting up these roadblocks, they should say yes. True transparency. Come in and check it out. This is clear. We're this is honest, and we're 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 honest as the day is long. Come in and check it out. That's what should be happening. But no, just like in the Constitutional Patriot podcast that I did yesterday, um, it, is that the the basically the Biden administration is taking active role 
in shutting down the First Amendment right of the Constitution. The Democrats are taking active roles to verify that election integrity, that elections are even fair and are, are real. Inequal, irregularity errors should be searched out, fixed, and show the public so that they can have faith in fair elections. That was my second note. Okay. Scott Ogney on May 22nd, St. Clair, Michigan, a local municipal or county clerk, personnel vo voting history, and personal changes to his records. So basically what they found is that there were numerous people. What they're doing is they're trying to get people to sue the county clerk's office because you could go to the county clerk's and get your election history results. Right? And what they found is numerous examples, right? Um, this Scott Ogney, A-U-G-H-N-A-Y, um, on May 22nd, um, St. Clair, Michigan, a local municipal and county clerk personnel voting history, and his personal, cha uh, person, personal information has been changed in his historical record. Voting records cross-checked with state voter registration lists. Many amazed to learn that the two databases do not match up. Wow. Hmm, interesting. Right? So you go and you, you go and you go to your county clerk's office and you fill out a registration form to register to vote. Oh, and this is how your vote, and this is your vote, and you submit your ballot through the, oh, but guess what? You submit a ballot, and but the ballot that was submitted to the, to the state database there in Michigan, your vote has been changed. Wow. So your vote has been changed. Nothing matches up, right? The votes that you are submitting to the county clerk's office when they're inputted in the database for state for state confirmations, oh, they don't match. Interesting. How is that? What happens there? You register as a Republican at your county clerk's office and you submit a ballot, but they register you as a Democrat and because some states have different ballots for Democrats and Republicans, right? Uh, that's what we used to have in this state, in California, and I used to love it. You'd go there, the first, the first when, when I was voting, back in the, when they had the voting booths and the punch cards, you'd go in and they had a line for Democrats and a line for, for Republicans in each, in each precinct. And you say, what are you, a Democrat or Republican? And say, I'm a Republican, because this is the way the primaries work. They would give you a different ballot. You would have a Republican ballot, or you would have a Democrat ballot. And you were voting for Republicans or you were voting for Democrats. So what they were doing is you'd go in there and you would register as a Republican and you'd get and you would get they'd give you a Republican ballot. You go in there, right? And they would you'd fill out your ballot, they would flag it. No, because you're not sending that in because we registered you as a Democrat and they would have somebody fill out a Democratic ballot and that's what they would submit. That's why the two records don't match up. That's the only way the two records could not match up is that somebody 
at some level of government, either at the county level or at the state level, was changing those records. That's the only way the two databases cannot match up. Most common dis, uh, dis, uh, disparities were different voter ID numbers for the same person. Wow. So what they would do is they county register as you a Democrat and give you a county ID number, but then they would create another county ID number, another voter identification number, and register you as a, the a Democrat, and then that's how they would do it. Okay. So that's how the elect. That's that's another example. Okay. Now here's something I wrote on there. This happened to me, and this happened with new, this. It was in the article. It was talking about how many this happened to many people. Persons listed it as. Voting absentee when, in fact, they voted in person. Right? See, what happened to me, as I've talked about this before on the Constitutional Patriot Podcast, I've talked about this before on all of my podcasts, is during the first Obama election, they would send out, the way they used to do it is they would send out a sample ballot a sample ballot would basically have basically information about each of the candidates. Okay, each candidate would submit um, basically a one-page uh, basically profile of who they are and what their policies are, and like one page. Okay, <clears throat> for each you know major uh, national and state office, right? And then the local ones, you'd put, they get a much smaller section. They would put like four local people on one page, right? So you would have, you would have in this ballot, it would have information pages on all the different candidates, okay? And then at the back of it, and then if there were any like, you know, propositions, you know, or bonds or whatever, they would have uh, information pages for pro and con for and against, the arguments for it, but written by the organization that's for it, and then arguments against, for, but written by the organization that's against it. So that's, that's what they would have in this sample ballot. But at the back cover of the sample ballot was an absentee form that you would tear out, and it was on a card, like a big gigantic postcard, about five inches square, and you would, postage paid, you'd fill it out, and send and drop it in a mailbox. Okay, what that would do is then they would mail you an absentee ballot that you can send in by mail. Okay, I have always been against absentee ballots, except for people who are homebound, disabled, who can't go to the polling place, or for military personnel. Over, or, or government employees that can, are, are away for, on duty that cannot come in, that cannot be there for voting in person, okay? Those are the only people that I think should be able to be able to have an absentee ballot, right? If you are unable to get to a ballot box on election day, then you can have an absentee ballot. But you would have to be able to ver confirm that you are the person filling it out. There should be a thumbprint 
um, attached to the vote where it where that thumbprint is scanned and it has to match the thumbprint on your identification in order for the vote to count. That's how I think voter ID vote absentee ballot should be. Okay, because that's how there's that's how voter fraud the main the main issue on voter fraud is absentee ballots. That's the main way voter fraud exists. That's a fact. That's a proven fact. Okay, there's even federal court precedent to confirm that absentee ballot has been used in voter fraud cases numerous times. Okay, so so voter fraud is a real thing. Now, I have never in my entire life filled out an absentee ballot request form. Never. I never do it. I love going into the ballot box. I love going in. I, they used to have these things. You go in there and there was a curtain. You slide the curtain over. You're in this little cubicle by yourself. You slide the, the little piece of car, uh, the card into it. You make sure the holes match up. You click it in there. And then you take this little poker thing and it has pages. And you're like, oh, okay, boom. And you match it up poke it in and you move it around make sure that hole was in there really good and then you turn the page to the next vote and it's like oh and then you push that one in it is you, you, basically a four-year-old could figure it out it's not hard okay um and it's but you're actually doing thing you're taking action you're punching a hole you're turning a page you're moving the thing around you're actually doing something it's actually it's it's very satisfying Okay, I love the punch cards. And if you're not smart enough to figure out how to get that thing to work, then maybe you shouldn't be voting in the first place. So it's, it was a form of an IQ test, a very limited one. Um, I still think that they should basically set a rotary phone in there. You go in there, and they give you a phone number with a bunch of sevens, eights, and nines in it, and a zero. And, and you basically have to figure out how to make a phone call t with a rotary phone. <laughs> And if you can't figure that, then you should. Then they won't give you a ballot. Okay, that that's I think would be really cool. I would really love that. But see, that's the issue here. Okay, um, but see, my vote, I never did it. And what happened to me is somebody, because see that that election, I never got my sample ballot. Okay, maybe I figure it got lost in the mail. It was not a big deal because I never I knew who I I'm I, I educate myself. I didn't need the sample ballot. Okay. So I go into the ballot place, the precinct, and it says, You're an absentee voter. I says, No, I'm not. I've never filled out an app. Says, Well, somebody did. Yeah, somebody, not me. So they gave me a preliminary ballot, a probationary ballot that I had to fill out a form do my voting ballot, and then they put it in an envelope separate. And they gave me a little 3 by 5 card with the county clerk's phone number and the date to call back. It was two weeks after the election, and they would tell me if which vote was counted in the election, the, the absentee ballot or the probationary ballot, whichever one, which one was counted in the election. Well, okay, this was the first Obama election. I called the number on the day that was on the, on the card, and they said that my absentee ballot 
was counted. I went down there to the county clerk's office, and you. And how come my abs, the absentee ballot that I did not fill out, did not request, was counted in this election, and not the ballot I filled out? This was fraud, because I never requested an absentee ballot. I never filled out an absentee ballot. I would like to see that ballot to prove that that's not my signature on the ballot. Oh, we can't do that. We can't give you that. We can't show you that. They couldn't show it to me? And I said, but it, I didn't fill it out. I want to be, and I told him, I says, I want to be removed off of the absentee ballot list. I do not want to absentee ballots ever again. I want in-person voting. I says, okay, we will remove you from the absentee ballot. They did not remove me from the absentee ballot. On the midterm election, same thing happened. Probationary, um, the, the absentee ballot was filled out by some other person, and I went down there again. Right? Again. Filed a complaint. I actually talked to the county clerk and not some, and I said, remove me from the list now. And he says, you are. I go, really? Then how come I never got, how come the precinct still has me listed as an absentee ballot? How come you have an absentee ballot that I did not fill out, did not sign? And my probationary ballot that they gave me at the precinct, at my voting precinct, did not count in the second election. Okay, so that is, that is, um, So, 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 so that is uh, one thing that that is. Okay, I'm having trouble. I'm having, okay, okay. Um, that is one of the things that that was that about. Okay, so I'm having some technical difficulty. Please hold. Okay, sorry about that. I had some. Uh, Technical difficulties there. Uh, <laughs> uh, technology uh, and still is is not uh, is not working out. Okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to go on with what we have here. Um, hold on. Uh, anyway, okay. So the video is not working. So we have that. Um, okay. So there will be no video for this episode. I apologize the technical difficulties but yeah it was like getting back to the story um what happened to me is so they would there's nothing they would do right and and so um i called the county clerk's office i went down there i called the county board of supervisors they blew me off right um i called my congressman and he said he would look into it um and he did, but he said they said they have your your paperwork all all verified, and I says yeah, it's not me, and but they won't show it to me to let me prove that it's not me, okay, and and so he goes there's well with the state law there's really nothing they could do because the the, the state law doesn't allow you to to challenge it right or whatever it is here in California, so this is what they do they put these barricades so you can't verify this is fraudulent. That's what they do. And it's completely, and it happened in the next Obama election as well. 
So finally, I said, "Fine, I'm going to call Fo- I'm going to call Fox News on your side. I'm going to get here down here, and I'm going to and I'm going to basically I'm going to file I'm going to file harassment lawsuits against the state. I'm going to file a uh, uh, fraud lawsuit against you personally, right? And then they fixed it. Then they fixed it. But still, I did not get to vote in three elections, two presidential elections, and one midterm, right?" So I have zero respect for absentee ballots. I don't trust them. I don't trust any of the elected uh, electoral uh, regulatory agencies in the state of California. None whatsoever. The election system in California is, is rampant with fraud. It is rampant with fraud. Okay, The elections in California are not free, they are not fair, and they are not secured. That's a fact. There's been numerous, numerous, numerous instances throughout the state in Republican-controlled precincts where where the Republican is the majority in those few precincts that exist where vote box, ballot boxes from the polling places end up in trashed, ended up in in parked car trunks found in parking lots, I mean, this kind of crap all the time, right? And no one is ever held accountable for this fraud. When you have, there was, I remember, it was like five, maybe it was like ten years ago, there was like, it was a, it was reported, and they could even channel, ABC News covered it back then, I think it was, I think it was ABC, um, local news, where there were like five, ballot boxes filled with votes, right, from two different precincts found in a dumpster outside behind like a Chinese restaurant or I think it was, or a, a, some kind of restaurant in the dumpster, right? See, the thing is now, since those ballots basically were not in the custody of any official and they've been basically contaminated, none of those votes were counted in the election. And it's amazing, five ballot boxes full of votes from a Republican precinct? That's a lot of votes. That actually could have flipped a county. That actually could have had a county... Uh, a congressperson uh, winning an election or losing an election that could actually have you know state state assembly personnel being changed that could actually have state senators being changed that could actually having having f- uh, non passing of of bond issues or bond issues being passed right propositions either passing or not passing that that's how that could have affected it i doubt that it would have affected this uh, statewide for state senate for the state of california or for how the president vote would do but those other elections that would have had severe impact on those local and county and 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 internal state elections for the state legislature okay so 
that is what this is going on here. Maybe that's why we have in the state legislature in California 75% control of Democrats in both houses. Maybe it's because these, these, these Republican-controlled precincts in these areas are basically being tampered with to keep the Democrats in power. Interesting conceptual framework on that. And it's and and you can't tell me voter fraud doesn't exist when you have when you have massive numbers of ballots being found in dumpsters that cannot be counted because of the law. And they shouldn't be counted, but they shouldn't be the, the people here's the what would stop that from happening. The people that are responsible for those ballot boxes, this happens, they go to jail. They go to jail for tampering with because the, they're responsible for those boxes. Uh, the recorded vote on this, what they did in here in Michigan is a recorded vote on the state list as living in voting from inaccurate addresses. So what they did is fine. Well, they have a they have somebody's driver's license number or they have someone's social security number. What they'll do is they will create an address for them in someplace else and use that. Oh, this is where they live, and this, and basically register them to vote and fill out voting ballots for them. And so basically, there's a voting history. Um, in a in a county in a city that this person's never lived in. Voter fraud, just like right now that there is somebody in I guess Santa Barbara area or San Diego in San Diego using my social security number. The IRS knows about it. The social security I've informed the social security administration. I've even called the FBI. I've called the San Diego Police Department, the sheriffs of San Diego County. I've called the Fresno Police Department, the city of Clovis Police Department. The city of Clovis is the only one who even took my statement or even filled out a report. The FBI blew me off. The social will go to this website and fill out a form. I did. That's all that, that basically you filled out a form. And that's all that they did. Right? There is the, the IRS knows exactly who this guy is. The IRS knows exactly what this guy is doing. They know where he lives and his name, his real name. And, but he's an illegal alien and he's using my social security number. This is insane. And the state of California, and even the federal government is doing nothing about it. Nothing. It is disgusting. Okay. So voter fraud is real. Many voters in Michigan discovered that the state records listed them as living in a county that they did not reside. Different counties... Setting this up, the county boards that were doing this, that's ID theft. A crime. So these county clerks that are knowing this is happening should be arrested. Just like the case with me is that every the, the, the people at the IRS who know this and refusing to comply, all of those people, all of those people that are allowing this to happen and not in, 
going about this should be should be prosecuted as accessories after the fact for vote for for identity theft the people were surprised to learn that michigan not seen as one of the worst states for imbalances between the states and local records. So the Michigan is not the worst worst offender in this. That's sad. So my question is, if they're not the worst, then what's the worst state? I'm guessing California. Mocob County resident was, was asked, he asked, why are the records originating with the local clerk being changed when they're entered into the state database? Question mark. It is illegal for anyone to alter official records. So this is a crime that is being committed by somebody in government in the state of Michigan and in other states as well. So that's a crime. Why is that criminal not being prosecuted? Okay. So that is that needs to be that needs to be gone through. Okay, Bureau of Elections records show that for one, for example, Michael Butts is the B U T Z um, had a had voting record in Bruce Township for more than twelve years. Macomb County community. Now. Michael moved to the county, Macomb County, for the first time in 2022. But he's already been he's he's never been in in Macomb County, Michigan, never been there before, never lived there, but he has a 12-year voting history there. Wow. So he was taking action he filed a criminal complaint against the Michigan Secretary of State, the, Sec the State Bureau of Elections. They violated both federal and state laws by not actually preserving his personal voting records. Wow. Maybe I should look into that by, vote, by, by the... I wonder what the statute of limitations is on that. May 31st, Epoch Times emailed offices of Michigan Secretary of State um, Jocelyn... Benson and asked for explanation on the discrepancies between state voter rolls and local voter rolls regarding different voter ID numbers, different addresses, voting history, and the me different methods of voting, and they refused to reply. So that is basically an overview of election fraud going on in um, Michigan. Now I have a video. Too bad the video here is not... Um, it is showing as... Um, it is showing as... Hold on. I'm going to pause. One sec okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. I had, I'm still having these technical difficulties with the video sections. I apologize. Um, so what we're going to hear is this. This is this is a video. It's from Forbes. It's from Forbes News. Breaking news. This was um, two weeks ago. Okay. Um, 
well, July 10th in the year of our Lord, 2023, was the date of this. This is the um, Georgia State Champions Club um, is where they're holding this meeting. This is the House Administration Committee holds a hearing on American confidence in elections. Okay, this is about election integrity. Okay, so here we go. It's expired. I now recognize myself for five minutes for the purpose of asking our witnesses questions. Uh, I will note that after the passage of SB 202, apparently Georgia's won a World Series with the Atlanta Braves, uh, and the University of Georgia won two national football championships. So I can't believe that there's any state in the country that's not trying to pass voter integrity legislation. Um, I, I say that as a, a firm believer in the University of Wisconsin and, uh, and a Brewers fan. Uh, but in a, in a serious sense, as we look at the impact uh, that SB 202 had here in Georgia, as we think about uh, the American Confidence in Elections Act, the ACE Act that we've introduced today. See, this has to do with a law that they have in um, Georgia, basically to, ins to basically secure faith in elections integrity, to basically limit and end what was known examples of voter fraud. Removing dead people from voter rolls, right? Requiring stringent regulation to secure, to verify the identity of an absentee ballot, okay? To require certain processes on count, on, ver on basically maintaining a chain of custody of absentee ballots, right? These are things, it's not to basically prevent people from voting. It's what it's doing is it's basically stopping illegal votes. But Democrats are opposed to this because they love having illegal votes. That's how they maintain power. Okay? And the, the title of this is is Brian um, Steele pushes back against the Biden claim voter integrity is not Jim Crow 2.0. Okay, Biden is a complete idiot. Completely and totally insane. Moving on. Um, I want to go back, if I can, Dr. Ruth, with you um, and look back at uh, a University of Georgia survey uh, that they did after the election. Um, in particular, it asked people about whether or not they faced voting problems. Um, in particular, we had, we had a lot of conversation about uh, underrepresented minority groups and some of the challenges that they may face. In that survey, do you know what it said as it related to uh, African Americans who faced, quote, no uh, voting problems? This is an interesting question. I do honestly do not know the answer to it for the state of Georgia. So let's find out. Okay, the woman is, she is uh, one of the people testifying. She is an African-American woman who is answering this question. Um, just to give a little background that the UGA survey, uh, uh, it, the UGA survey, 1,253 registered voters, 64% voted early, 30 voted on election day. And it is true that 0% um, of African-Americans responded that they had a poor voting experience. So, so this whole law, this whole law 
that the Democrats were claiming was racist. This whole law that is going is going to prevent people, black people, from voting. It's going to make it more difficult for them to vote. All of these things, none of it was true. None of it was true. The black people, zero, zero percentage of the black people had of that were polled, right? Which was a con- cross, which. I'm telling you, for someone who does polling, who's someone who's a political scientist, this is a legitimate poll. This is a statistically significant poll because of the the percentage and cross section that the ballot that the polling sample size has. So it's a it is a realistic poll with probably I'm guessing a plus or minus of less than of three percent or less, which is which makes it a legitimate poll, which makes it a statistically significant poll. Okay? By done by the University of Georgia. This isn't from some this is not done by some right wing think tank. Okay? Some 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 partisan committee or some partisan organization. This is the University of Georgia doing this poll. The University of Georgia is not a university that anyone can say is a, is a, is a conservative institution. Okay, let's let that be known. Is that this, is, this poll was done by the University of Georgia which is a leftist-controlled organization controlled by the Democrat ideology. Okay, let's, let's have that be very clearly stated. That's a, that's a pretty positive thing after we were told uh, that SB 202 was Jim Crow 2.0 by the President of the United States. Uh, following re- analysis of that data and your knowledge of the, the Georgia election law, do you believe that... that SB 202 was truly Jim Crow 2.0? I do not. You do not. Okay, here we have an African-American woman, right, in Georgia, clearly stating that the Georgia election law, which basically this Georgia election law was a law that basically had the all-star baseball game being pulled from the state. Okay, you had corporations shutting down and and moving out of the state. You had, I mean, this was and banning people, banning the state. We're not doing this. We're not going there. You can't play California. Can no teams can play in in Georgia? This this is what's going on with this insanity. Uh, I, I think that's really important because it's easy to have false narratives thrown at election integrity legislation like the ACE Act. But when we examine the underlying empirical data, often we're finding that those narratives are false and are simply trying to scare people from passing strong voter integrity provisions that at the end of the day increase voter turnout. And so if I can, if I can jump to you, Ms. Nuruddin. Is- so so basically they're saying that the, the people who are opposed to election integrity legislation say, well, it's going to impose and, 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 and prevent people from voting. Let's find out. We look at the turnout um, in the 2022 election. Was the turnout rate in Georgia higher than the national average? I believe it was. 
Yeah, it was 57. Oh, here's another African-American woman who says, I believe it was the voter, the African-American voter turnout um, was higher, and she's basically, oh, the look on her face. Oh, if you could see this. Um, the, I wish the video was working. You could see how angry she is about having to say yes. And the national average was 52%. So following Georgia passing an election integrity bill and implementing that bill, Georgia's voting at a higher rate than the national average. To me, giving further evidence that passing election integrity, election integrity actually enhances individuals' confidence in their elections, and as a result, more people are participating in the process as they have confidence in the elections. If I can go back to you, Dr. Ruth, on something we talked about as related. So here we have basically proof that Democrats once again lie. To, to ballot drop boxes in Georgia before COVID, so go back to 2018 and before, were ballot boxes legal in the state of Georgia? No, they were not. They were not. And then following the passage of SB 202, ballot drop boxes are now legal. There's rules and regulations around them, but they're now legal in the state of Georgia. Is that accurate? They are. So it would be fair to say that SB 202 actually increased the use of ballot drop boxes in the state of Georgia, did not decrease them in the state of Georgia. I think, I think that's pretty important. And then if I can See, this is another example of another example, another example of how Democrats were lying about what the law is. Okay? So, once again, proof that Democrats are lying sacks of dog crap. Moving on. I can come to you, Mr. Vince Bukowski. Um, looking at President Biden's executive order, it's 14019, because I know you're a numbers guy and in the details, quote, promoting voting access, end quote. Uh, it requires federal agencies to do a lot of things, but it does a lot of stuff that really is uh, partisan election work. Um, do you have concerns that federal agencies would be using federal taxpayer dollars to engage in partisan elections? Uh, yes, and the problem with that executive order was that the president had no constitutional statutory authority to start directing federal agencies to not only engage in voter registration activities, but also was telling them to help voters obtain and, and vote their absentee ballots. I mean, that's, that's outlined in the executive order. And See, that right there is basically ballot harvesting, and that is illegal. That's basically filling out an absentee ballot for somebody else. And we already have proof from Michigan that there is fraud going on in filling out ballot absentee ballots for people that don't that don't we're just creating them and filling them out that is fraud and this executive order by Joe Biden the dumbass idiot the Joe Biden the criminal syndicate leader of the of the Biden criminal organization and the king dumbass himself this this is he has no he's in direct violation of the US Constitution and he has no legal authority to do it whatsoever. Thank you for listening to the Tea Party Policy Chat Podcast. I'm Scott Harris, your constitutional patriot. God bless, and God bless you all.